Good afternoon. Uh, this is Russell Farbiars with Not Minding uh, My Own Business. And here I am yet again, Not Minding My Own Business. And I am joined uh, by Adam Werner of uh, Haas Financial Group uh, out of Kutztown. Uh, good afternoon, Adam, and welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. I'm, I'm thrilled to, ha to have you on, on the show. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little, little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, so uh, I am a wealth manager, um, often known as a financial advisor, financial planner, pick it out of a hat, whatever you want to call us. Um, but we do primarily financial planning, uh, retirement planning, investments, all of that good stuff um, here in Kutztown. That's that's nice. And it must be nice to, to have wealth to manage, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's... Uh, Kind of step step one uh, in the process for us is yes, you have to have uh, you know some income or some assets to be able to strategize. So yes, that's fair. Now, how did you originally get into your line of work? Yeah, it's a funny story. My so I'm going way back. My my dad, who was a meat cutter or a butcher for Acme Markets, going way way back, you know, into the 70s and 80s ended up working at the, at the supermarket with another gentleman who then ended up transitioning into the role of a financial advisor. So they had known him for years and years and years. He helped them with their investments. When I was going to school, going to college, um, and kind of going down this road of something with finance, something in this, in this space, I interned with them for, I don't even remember, six to eight months um, while he was a financial advisor. And that kind of just set the hook for me. Uh, I did enjoy it. Um, and then right out of college, I started working with them full time. I ended up at Ameriprise uh, Financial in the Allentown area for six years. That's kind of where I really, really got the bulk of, of my training. Um, and then a handful of years ago, I, I joined Ben um, going independent outside of kind of that corporate structure. We've been doing that for the last seven years now. Hey. That, that's a that's a very interesting story. Now, now, what what was that hook or that 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 <laughs> thing about about financial planning um, that you're most passionate about? Yeah, it's a good question because I think at least when I got into the business, it was still very much investment driven. Um, kind of that, it, and for me, I was always good at math. I I, I had somewhat of a of an inkling towards accounting. Although I think the, the further I got into some of that coursework in college, I realized that that was not for me. Um, so it really was kind of the investment side of things that, that drew me in. And then it really was just the interactions with clients and then starting to get a peek for, I, I, maybe we'll touch on this a little bit later too, but I think just our industry in general, when, when people think of a financial advisor, I think they often think, investments and how, how are they going to help me beat the market? I'm using air quotes. Um, and that's, that's kind of how things started. Um, but the, the deeper I got into the process and, and again, just meeting with people, really seeing how they were underserved in all the other as aspects of their financial life. Um, and then that really kind of started. And that's, so when I joined Ameriprise, they, they focused a lot on the financial planning aspect, which was great. But that was still within that corporate setting. It was still essentially just a funnel, the corporate funnel of 
do planning to essentially get to the end result, which was still selling some sort of product at the end of the day. Um, but it really was just that client interaction. Um, and that's, that's still the, the bulk of what I enjoy the most right now is just having those conversations with clients, kind of leading them through a process um, and trying to look at things holistically, looking at the big picture and trying to keep the main thing, the main thing for them. Um, obviously the investments are a big part of that, but, but yeah, it really was kind of the, the face-to-face interaction, helping people through really our, our bread and butter, butter is retirement planning. That's, that's a, the bulk of what we do. Um, and when it comes to making that decision to retire, there's a lot of variables and a lot of assumptions that get built in. It's kind of helping people make that decision or at least give them as much education as they feel they need to make that decision. That's, it's, it's a pretty rewarding uh, part of the process for me. That, that's great. I, w- I want to break this down a little bit be- because yeah. I, I think that I, I think that sometimes phrases are sort of thrown around and, and, and I don't know that everyone really understands it. Uh, yeah. And so this might seem like, like real, so, so something really basic, but when you say financial planning, what, what exactly are you talking about? Yeah, so that's, that's fair. I think that's often, I, I fall into that trap, obviously, that it, it means, it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Um, like I said, obviously, investments are a big part of that. For us, it really starts, yeah, when we say financial planning, financial planning to us is, is basically a process. So making sure that we kind of go through a, a checklist or some sort of process that makes sure we cover every single aspect of someone's financial life to make sure that everything is in a good spot or is at least aligned with what they're looking to to accomplish. Um, And oftentimes that's where we see the biggest gaps in terms of people can be doing all the right things, right? Living within their means, making sure they're setting aside money, right? Saving, um, having insurance, having their estate plans documented, all of those things, that's all great in a vacuum. But rarely do we see people have everything kind of as a, as a cohesive plan, or at least the, here's, our, here's our path that we're going down. Um, so it really is for us, it's, it's the foundational stuff first. It's making sure they have a cash reserve. Or where are they saving? How much are they saving? Again, making sure that's actually aligned with what they're looking to accomplish. Um, it's, it's the insurance side of things. It's life insurance, disability insurance, all of that stuff. Um, the tax planning is a big part of that, but pretty much I'm trying to think, I don't know that there's any part of what we do from a financial planning, uh, from a financial planning perspective that isn't felt in some way, shape or form connected to the tax side of things. Um, and you, um, you are very well aware, even from an estate planning purpose, taxes often drive a lot of the process. Um, so that's a big part of it. The estate planning, we, we know enough to be dangerous. We don't actually draft any estate plans. That's why we have you. Um, but it's, it's the strategy. It's, it's going through the process, again, just making sure that people have things documented, number one, and that they understand there's, we often see it's, it's unintended consequences where I think people kind of get, get tripped up. Um, we, we often say it's, well, from, from an investment standpoint, Sometimes uh, you kind of let the, uh, what's the saying? Let the, 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 tax, the tax tail wag the investment dog. 
where you know sometimes your priorities may be a little bit uh, misplaced if at the end of the day you're trying to invest in a certain way um, we often see this with clients when when they come from um, you know working with a CPA that kind of ran their financial life and it's all through that lens of taxes um, but really it's it's the, it's all of that it's the investments are a huge piece obviously um, and then really for us, again, where, where, we, where we think we add the most value is the planning side. And when I say planning, for us, it's, it's the retirement planning, making sure that when someone finally makes that decision to walk away from work or to finally decide when is work actually optional for me, um, exploring what's possible, the timeline, social security decisions, pension decisions, all of those things. There's, there's so many different um, kind of dominoes that go into that process, um, going back to, like I said, using that term unintended consequences that nothing happens in a vacuum. So it's, it's often pretty difficult for someone that doesn't do this on a regular basis and maybe doesn't necessarily want to keep up with tax law changes or estate law changes or any of this, <laughs> these ideas or areas of expertise, um, trying to keep all of that in, in mind to make a decision, um, that's really, it's that retirement planning piece for us that, that really is, is the key focus. Yeah, and I think that's, that's interesting to, to talk about, uh, you know, because I think with, when it comes to retirement, I think that we all know that we're supposed to save and we're supposed to put money in our 401k or our IRA. Yeah. But I don't know that any of us, anyone really talks that much about what you're supposed to do when you get to the other side of that coin, which is when you're supposed to start spending it and yeah. how and from where. So I don't know if you, if you can talk a little bit about, about that. Yes, definitely. That is, we, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of smiling because I'm thinking of a recent conversation that we had that it is, it, that, that is an, uh, a, another piece of the puzzle that you're right. I think, um, you know, people know that, we need to set aside something for the future. And as long as you have kind of the right mindset, you can kind of just go through the motions and, and kind of go through your life doing the right things, you're going to be okay. But then, yeah, getting to retirement, the question is, okay, well, I've done all of these things. I have money here. I have money there. How do I re actually recreate my paycheck? What accounts am I drawing from to actually now meet my needs? When should I start social security? That may factor into that that decision too of, am I pulling from my 401k, but I'm delaying my social security, or is it better for me to start social security earlier and allow my investments to continue to grow? And that's, I think the hardest part for us is there's no, there's never a, a black and white answer um, that can be kind of the blanket statement. Everybody's situation is different. And I think that's part of what makes our, our job I guess, interesting and, and entertaining at times. And it is challenging because no two clients, no two people have the exact same situation. So what works for one person may not work for another. Um, but it is a, it's a really good point, Russell, that, that getting to retirement and now, now what, right? What, what do I, number one, how do I recreate my paycheck? How do I make sure I meet my needs? And how do I know that what I have is going to be enough? That's a big part of the, of the thought process too. Um, but it is, uh, we, 
more and more lately, we're seeing, again, the, the investment side of things, the planning side of things, I think to us, that's, I don't want to say it's, it's simple. It's, it's really not. It's, it's, it's not easy, um, but it's the more human side of it. It's the, the emotional side of, of, for many people, getting, getting to that point and deciding to retire. There's a lot of other parts of your life that are wrapped up in your, in your job, in your career. Um, and, and kind of, it's difficult to, for a lot of people to flip that switch from, you know, it's the social interactions, it's having a purpose um, and, and getting to that point and now trying to figure out what's next. How am I going to actually spend my days, assuming you have all of the other financial things, kind of those, those boxes checked. It really is more of the, that emotional behavioral side of things that we're seeing more and more people um, looking for help with. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. And I also, I also like how it seems like you, you, you're planning, you, you're starting from a place of what are your goals and what are your objectives, which is the exact same place that we start when we're talking about estate planning um, and, and, and elder law planning, uh, yeah. which, which are really are two separate things uh, in, in my world yeah. and, and trying to really understand what the client wants um you know, out of whether it be their life or their retirement or, or whatnot, what, what does that process look like, like for you though? In terms of trying, trying to determine what, what are those goals for, for people? Well, yeah. If, if, if a, a potential client come, you know, contacts you and, yeah. and they're going to go through, through the, the Haas financial group planning process, yeah. you know, you know, give us like the 30,000 foot view of what that looks like. Oof, yeah. So it involves a lot of questions. Um, and, and really, and I'm, I'm sure that's no different from you. It, it really is just, we, we want to be able to understand what, what does somebody actually value? What are, they, what are they hoping to accomplish? And then we can start to try to strategize what will actually fit or help them accomplish those goals. So I'll, I'll, give, I'll, give an, I'll give an example and then, and then remind me to come back to the, the, the 30,000 foot view of the process. If somebody wanted to retire, say at age 55, what we would suggest for them is probably going to be way different than someone who says that we want to retire at 65. Because there's so many different aspects of um, retirement or use the example again, I, I use 65, that's Medicare. So oftentimes the biggest hurdle for people who want to retire before age 65 is, okay, how do we cover health insurance? Where, where are we getting it? How much does that cost? Again, social security at 62 is the earliest that you can elect it. That's a big milestone. 59 and a half is a big milestone for being able to access you know, a, a retirement plan without a 10% penalty. So depending on what that goal may be, again, in this example, if somebody wanted to retire at 55, it may mean restructuring where they're saving. Maybe you're not saving as much into a retirement account. You're saving outside of a retirement account within an investment account, but not tied to retirement per se, to give, you, give someone the flexibility of where to access funds. This goes back to how am I going to recreate my paycheck from a tax perspective to make sure that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. And something just as simple as retiring at a different age completely changes how we approach that process for them. Um, and we also know that 
people's goals are not set in stone either. That that's that's the biggest part I think for us that I, I am learning as as we go through this process with people that you can we can do a, a quote unquote plan for someone and it's it's out of date the moment our our document is finalized. Um, it really is the ongoing process for us um, that that is the valuable part, keeping people on track as life changes, things change, careers change, whatever, um, making sure that as those decision points come, that we're kind of regrouping and making sure that what they want to see happen still is aligned with how they are going about things. So back to your question on 30,000 foot view, for us, that process really is trying to get to know somebody and their financial life within a couple of meetings on the front end, make sure that we're actually a fit for them and, and them for us, um, that they're actually uh, interested in going through some of this more in-depth process. And then it really is on us to start to analyze some of their data, right? Share all of, all of the important pieces of financial information that they have, and then we do meet again to kind of go through an, an interactive process where we, we have our big screen TV in the conference room. We'll throw everything up on there. We, we use our, our uh, financial planning tool interactively really to explore what's possible and start to, um, I guess, try to try to narrow down um, what. So, sorry, let me take a step back. Some, sometimes people have a, a pretty def, well-defined goal of, of what they want using retirement again here as the, of the, as the example, I want to retire at age 62 and I know I'm going to need $100,000 a year in retirement. And maybe there's some other variables, but this is what I want. And then at that point, oftentimes it, it becomes the, the math equation. Um, you, know, you, can, you can quickly back into what somebody needs to do if it's that well-defined. Oftentimes though, it's, it's more uh, ambiguous in terms of I don't know. I don't know when I can retire, or I I like what I do. I don't necessarily need to retire, but at some point, I just want to know when I can walk away on my own terms. And I think for for us, oftentimes it is just giving people that that perspective or that education on. We think you're okay to retire tomorrow or yesterday. You don't necessarily have to take that information and do anything with it, other than have that peace of mind to know that at any point you go into work and you just say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, or you have a bad day, or your boss is on your case over and over, or who knows what. Um, having that peace of mind to know that people can walk away at any point in time, knowing that they're financially independent at, at whatever point in time that is, um, I think that's a, that's a big piece. And we've seen that lately too, that just having that knowledge is enough for people to actually work maybe a little bit longer than they had originally anticipated. Um, so the point being, it's really, there's a lot of work on the front end to ask questions, to understand, to analyze the data, and then actually go through that interactively with somebody. And the end result for us is really just a to-do list. So all of the advice gets consolidated into here's who, who is going to do what, and then we, we tie some deadlines to it. And we, we try to, uh, do as much of that heavy lifting as we possibly can on our side for people that want to delegate some of that to us. Um, but really that's, that's the end result. It's, it's that to-do list that acts as our agenda for the rest of whatever that time period is, three months, six months, a year, um, until we, till we get through that until the next life change happens. And then we're adapting again. Right. 
and, and so so you said something important like till the next life change this is not a set it and forget it uh no. it's it you know and i i say the same thing to a lot of my clients that planning is a lifelong process yeah and now do you produce any sort of like written report that you provide to them yeah yeah so all of our advice is customized and uh we we go back and forth internally here um but it's it's the only way that we know how again as i said no two situations are alike so for us to use a program and and just kind of spit out templated um you know that to-do list it it just doesn't work for for us it doesn't work for the clients it really is customized it's a it's a word document is essentially how we create it along with some some reports but it it ends up being you know i don't know 10, 15 plus pages of, of individualized advice in all of those different areas. As I said, it's, it's the fundamentals, it's cash reserve, cash flow, it's where you're saving, it's the insurance side of things, it's the estate planning side of things. For many people, it's the retirement planning section. Um, there's, a, there's a lot, it's the investments, asset allocation, all of those things that goes into one document, personalized, customized, written by us. And that again acts as our kind of guiding light for the the next year's worth of of meetings to make sure that we we accomplish, um, you know, we start checking off those boxes on those tasks. So I'm getting the sense uh, that that you that you and and the folks at Haas Financial Group are different than a lot of other financial advisors, <laughs> uh, and and in, in a good way uh, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. because I. Th- you know, a lot of, you know, there, there are, and I'm not knocking, I'm not knocking anyone who, who, who does it this way, but there are a lot of financial advisors who are very interested in, in sort of accumulating, you know, assets under management sure. uh, and, and maybe don't check in with their clients as often. Yeah. It sounds to me like you have a different model where, where you'd rather have less clients, but check in with them uh, more often. Uh, yeah. So so I, I find that very interesting because it's, 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 it's just, it's different. Yeah. How, how did that model come about, come about? So it was, I, it, it's very intentional and, and you are spot on that. That is definitely our approach. It's, it's quality over quantity. Um, and as, as the industry itself has evolved, the, the financial industry has evolved over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 so years, it, it really was primarily sales driven. It, it was, it was product. You had to work with an advisor to get access to mutual funds or certain stocks, or that's where the stockbroker came from, right? It was, it was still investment driven and it, it still ended up in a sale over time that has now shifted more towards advice. And that's definitely the, the area that we live in. It's we, at this point, we don't even have a securities license to receive commissions for any sales. We can't, we don't have a product to sell. Our product is, is us. It's, it's our firm. It's the advice that we give. We only get paid through giving advice, whether that's specifically for investment advice, right? We do manage um, investment accounts for our clients, but then it is the financial planning side, getting paid as consultants to give financial planning advice. Um, So I think, yeah, I forget, I forget, forget where the question even started. Just that, yeah, I think our approach to building those longer term relationships is what's important to us. We, we don't want to fall into that trap, which again, I think was the case years and years ago, that 
you're just chasing the next thing, right? You have to, if you, you brought a client in, you sold them a product, you got paid, great. That's all well and good. But you start the next year with a, a clean slate. You're starting from zero again. Now you got to go out and find a whole other, you know, new batch of people to sell to. Um, and that's just, that sounds awful to me. Um, we, we, we want to work with people that share our values, right? That, that have the right mindset. Again, we're not a fit for everybody, um, but people that, that want to make sure they're doing the right thing um, and are open to making those adjustments. And that's where we see it really is for us being very thoughtful on trying to stay small to a certain degree. I mean, we, we are actively growing and we'll probably end up you know, hiring a few more people by the end of the year as well. Um, but we don't, we don't want to become a volume shop um, because really that's, because we lead with planning first, that is a pretty time intensive process. It takes, takes some effort, not only on our end, but on the client's end too. Um, and to make sure that we're checking all of these boxes in all of these different areas. Yeah. There's only so many people that we think we can work with and actually do the job that we think we're good at, which is adding value holistically and not just in any one area. So yes, we, I, I'm glad you said that because we certainly feel that way from time to time too, that we definitely go about things differently. Um, but we've, we've been doing this for so many years now, it, it, it oftentimes just feels weird when we see different stories or we hear how people are still doing things in a way that for us is just so antiquated and just doesn't align with how we think. But that's just, you know, a, a personal bias. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to wrap my head around how, you know, certain people in this industry are still, still selling products and still not focusing on the, the person on the other side of the table. You know, they're, they're still cold calling people like, it, like it's 1980, <laughs> like it's 1985, yeah. you know? So, so I, I want to pivot a little bit here and talk a little bit about you. Uh, when, when you're, what do you, what do you do when you're not working? Oh man. So I have three daughters, so that takes some time. Um, there's never, never a dull moment um, in my house. Um, always something that needs to get done. The, the list is it never shrinks. I don't know if that's, I'm guessing that's a common thing. Um, but other than that, so I am an avid drag racer at Maple Grove Raceway. Um, that usually starts about now. We've had a couple of races already this year and that'll go through September, October. So it's, you know, essentially half the year um, that we're racing. My, my dad got me into that. He's been racing for man, I don't even know how many years, 50 years now, maybe at this point, my daughter who is 17 is, is now, is now racing the last couple of years herself. So we spend a lot of time, especially in the summers, um, at the track, uh, together racing. Well, that's, that's a nice, a nice family hobby. Yeah. 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 Now, do you, do you build the cars together or, or how does that work? So that's where I have limitations because I am not a mechanic. I, I can do some things, but I am not, I, I can't tear an engine apart and rebuild it uh, from scratch. So luckily, and, and my dad, as much uh, mechanical acumen as he has, is still not that either. So we have good friends that are either mechanics or do have those areas of expertise. So yeah, we, again, we, 
we can do enough to keep ourselves going, but when things need bigger updates or bigger changes. So recently my, my dad's engine had to come out of his race car because he had no oil pressure. Um, that needed to come out, sent to the, the engine builder and, and be redone. So it is, it is one of those areas where for me, the, the drag racing side of it, it's, it, it scratches the competitive itch for me. It, uh, I like cars. I like going fast in a straight line. Um, but yeah, the, all of the behind the scenes that goes into that and that maybe that applies to financial planning, right? It's, it's the process trying to remove variables, trying to keep things consistent. Um, that's the hard part. Really the, the fun part is when you're out there on a, on a race day and, and just being competitive, um, you know, with our fellow racers. How fast does your car go? <laughs> so Compared to a street car, it's it's considered fast, but really in, in the race car world, it's not very fast. So in, in the quarter mile, I go maybe 11.5, 11.6 seconds at 115 miles an hour. So for comparison, a typical street car, uh, you know, your, your family SUV, maybe 15 to 16 seconds, somewhere in that range at you know, I don't know, 80, 89, 90 miles an hour. So it's, it's, it's fast. It, it's, it throws you back in the seat when, when you step on the gas. Wow. <laughs> but I guess you're not weaving in and out of traffic. So it's a little different. No, no. It, yeah, it really is the, the, it, it does this, that sensation of speed over time. You do, you do become accustomed to it. So to the point now where, the, the very first run of the year, like when, when we go out in April, usually it's in April for the very first time, that first run kind of resets um, that expectation. It kind of does surprise you that very first time you, you, you know, you, you hit the throttle and you go right off the line, full throttle. Um, that gives you that, that kind of that adrenaline rush again. But when you're in mid season, it, you become just so acclimated to it. You, you kind of lose some of that sensation of going 115 miles an hour at, at the finish line. It, 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 it is weird to kind of think of it in that way, but it is, it is how it works. Wow. I, that's really interesting. I, I, I might have to come out and, and watch you race sometime because that, that would be, uh, be, that would be interesting to watch. It, it's an experience for sure. Uh, and you, you said you have three daughters. And so I, 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 God bless you for, <laughs> for having three. I have one, um, mm -hmm. and and one one girl can be can be a, enough. I can't imagine doing that times three. So, thank God for my wife. Who <laughs> man, I, I yeah, thank God for for Amy. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, are you originally originally from the Berks County area? Yeah, I grew up grew up in Sinking Spring. Okay, and what what's your favorite local restaurant? So this is a new one for me. Amy and I just discovered Savory Grill. Oh. I don't know if you're familiar with Savory Grill. That's in it's in Lehigh uh, Valley. Yeah, it's like Mukunji ish mm -hmm. area. Seashultsville, I think is what it is. Yeah, um, we went there for our anniversary six months ago. Um, for the very first time I've, I've, I've always kind of heard of it, but never really went. Um, and it is, we, we just went actually last weekend. Um, it's quite an experience. It is, 
I don't know if, so we, we like to watch the cooking shows on Food Network, <laughs> like the competition shows, Chopped, Guys Grocery Games, the Tournament of Champions, those kind of things. This was the closest thing that we could find locally that kind of gives you that feel of wildly different ingredients, prepared different ways. Um, so that, that's been our, our favorite. To be fair, we've only been there twice. Um, <laughs> but it is for if you're looking for an experience when you're going out to eat it is a long dinner it's been like two to two and a half hour dinners and it's 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 a it's an experience um but it's it's very different than you know going to any other you know local chain restaurant for example hmm. we'll have to check that out i know we we were, we were talking about trying to check out savory grill um, yeah so uh, and i can't recall if we've been there before um, because we used to have a friend who lived out in that area. Okay. Uh, but yeah, well, th- this has been, this has been, you know, a, a really interesting conversation. I, I feel, I feel like we've, we've really gotten to talk a, a lot about, you know, uh, about the fine, the financial services industry and sort of understanding really a, a different approach um, uh, to providing those services is there is there something that you think that people should be aware of about what you do or about your industry that they wouldn't otherwise be aware of? Yeah, I think, and I, I think I've kind of touched on this at, at different points throughout here. It, it is, it's the folk for, for us. It's it's the it's the focus on advice, not necessarily just the focus on investments. And I think that's that's often the the biggest mis, misconception when people find us or or come to us along the way that. Um, you know, they think I have this investment account, I retired, I just want somebody to help me manage that. And we can help do that. But really, where where we see our value, the, the most impactful is really making sure that all of the other pieces align um, with their whatever that path may be for them, whatever those goals, um, or values, really, sometimes people don't even necessarily have a specific goal in mind. It's just, I know this is how how I value family, money, relationships, whatever. Help me identify how can I align what I say I want to do with how all my other you know investments, accounts, all of that stuff is is invested. And uh, I think it, it really is just that that difference between advice and and product sales. Um, the the biggest, maybe not. I keep saying the biggest. The the thought of, so we, we are, Ben and I are certified financial planners, which means we are held to the fiduciary standard. I think that's a, that's a buzzword a lot of people kind of hear and maybe don't necessarily understand what that means. Um, and that just means we, we are held to the standard where we must act in someone's best interest, which sounds obvious, right? We should all want to work with people that are working in our best interests. But our industry is not, not everybody is held to that standard. Um, as long as something is quote unquote suitable for a type of person that kind of meets the suitability standard, doesn't necessarily have to be the best thing for them. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of where we want to shine the light for, for us and in our industry is that, again, what, what works for one does not necessarily work for another and making sure that you have somebody at the helm to coordinate all the different pieces of their life and have their best interests in mind. Um, that's really where, where we want to kind of live in, in that area. Um, 
and and really it's how how would we want to how would we want to receive that service if we were sitting on the other end of of the table oh wonderful thank you adam adam werner from haas financial group in kutztown adam what's the best way uh for someone to reach out to you i'd say check out our website it's haasfinancialgroup.com feel free to shoot me an email a werner at haasfinancialgroup.com if anybody has questions would be more than happy to help all right well thank you adam and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of not minding my own business thanks for having me russell i appreciate it